0: hello and welcome to another episode of endeavors happy oscar night don't have any nominees but it's a triple barrel fun tonight with lonnie chavis justin curzel and phil Gallen and morgan king that's coming up on endeavors I've always loved the Oscars. I've watched them religiously since I was about, I think, 9 or 10, uh, only missing, I think, 2 or 3 due to work commitments. And uh, this year was the first time I felt a real sense of indifference to them and to the ceremony. Maybe it was because of their decision to cut certain awards from the telecast in an effort to make them shorter. Didn't work. It ended at 8.30 uh, Pacific time, which is about half an hour longer than they wanted it to go. Um... You know, maybe it was because I just I hadn't been to the cinema in in forever, and so I hadn't got a chance to see a lot of the films. But I watched it anyway, and I'm really glad I did because you know, in in spite of everything, um, some of the pointless banter between the hosts. Although I love all three of the hosts, I just think the their shtick could have been worked a little, reworked a little bit differently. Um, the introduction, which I didn't think needed happening. Um, they could have made me cut back on, on some of the montages. Um, in spite of all that, having athletes introduce James Bond, for whatever reason, in spite of all that, it worked. You know, seeing Francis Ford Coppola and Liza Minnelli and having Ariana DeBose win. It worked. Um, and big shout-out to... Canada's own Ben Proudfoot uh, for winning the Academy Award for Best Documentary Short Film, or Best Documentary Short Subject, as they call it, Queen of Basketball, executive produced by Shaquille O'Neal. Also, Denis Villeneuve, although he didn't win uh, the film that he directed, Dune, uh, won six awards, I believe, and it was nominated for for ten overall. Um, It just goes to show that film is... So much more than any one person. Um, And so much more than than any one department, you know. Uh, Dune won a lot in the technical categories. Um, And Coda, my love for Coda Will Never Die. I love Coda. Um, Deafness runs in my family. It was an important film. So glad to see it do so Well, so I've got three guests on today in three films. I know it's rare, but it happens sometimes. And while none of them are Oscar-nominated, they're all great films uh, in their own right. I'll be speaking with actor Lonnie Chavis. Uh, He is at the center uh, of a new horror film called The Boy Behind the Door. It's a great film. And then speaking of brilliant horror films, one of the most interesting, most innovative films I have seen in quite some time, uh, the animated adult horror fantasy film, The Spine of Night, I'm speaking with co-writers and directors, Phil Gellett and Morgan King. But first... We go to the land down under, the land of Oz, where Justin Kurzel uh, has a new film out called Nitram. Uh, Justin has done a lot of films inspired by true events over the years. Uh, you may remember his film from just a couple of years ago called The True History of the Kelly Gang. Uh, he's also directed an adaptation of Assassin's Creed, Macbeth, uh, and his debut was Snowtown. Much like Snowtown, Nitrum uh, is based on a true event that happened in Australia, uh, and it deals with murder. In this case, a school shooting. Uh, Nitrum is uh, inspired by, or is a I guess, a, a loose adaptation of the Port Arthur massacre that happened in Port Arthur, Tasmania in the mid-1990s, uh, an incident which changed gun laws, gun culture uh, in Australia, caused the government to overhaul, overhaul its policies and politics, and it worked because there hasn't been a mass shooting since then. Uh, the film stars Caleb Landry-Jones, Essie Davis, Judy Davis, and Anthony LaPaglia. Uh, and the director is Justin Kurzel And I got to speak with him about the film. Justin Kurzel hello. Good afternoon, or I guess morning where you are.
1: <laughs> uh, morning, yeah.
0: Yes uh so you have a new film out uh nitrim which is uh i guess a, a dramatization of the port arthur mass- massacre that happened in in, in the mid 90s um you know it was 25 years ago that 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 tragedy still happens that people still talk about um why why did you want to tell this this version of the story
1: uh well the 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 writer Sean Grant who I've worked closely on a couple other films and we've collaborated before um it was during covid he said i've got a screenplay that i want to send you i knew nothing about it i live in tasmania um where the events happen so uh i was pretty i was pretty shocked that as i started reading that it was about the the events um and in in my mind i was thinking how 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 can you make a film about these events? But as I started reading, um, there was something very familiar and recognisable about this world that I sort of hadn't hadn't sort of seen before. Um, and there was something about that scene in the gun shop uh, when he walks in and, and, you know, has a bag of money and is able to buy kind of semi-automatic weapons like candy, you know, without a licence, and without having to register the guns, that it, it just sort of crystallised for me what 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 I felt the film was about, um, and I felt like I was so kind of caught up in that point of view, and 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 sort of so got to know this character, and at that point that 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 I felt that character was the sort of their most dangerous. He sort of walked into this shop, so there, there was there was a a, a very. Um, uh, a very uh, it was a very powerful read and and it, it it stayed with me for a very long time and I was continually debating whether to do it or not knowing that it was it was going to be very challenging for me <laughs> living in the place where the massacre happened and 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 also kind of making sure that we did it right if we did it but it was just such great writing and and such so well um, just carefully written that I, that I, um, you know, I felt I had to make it and, you know, and, and then other things just started to sort of happen with it. I think that the whole aspect of parenting and mental illness and being an outlier and how a community cares for people that, that sort of started to evolve and develop and, you know, really started to get my attention
0: I, uh, I know that there was a, a bit of a, uh, an uproar and controversy within Tasmania itself. And I know the the, the, the town council uh, in, in the area ha- had a lot of uh, things to say. How, how do you react to, to something like that when something new creative um, maybe gets either misinterpreted or creates a bit of a stir?
1: It was tricky at the time because it... it, it it um, was announced that we were sort of making the film as we were filming. Um, And, uh, you know, I I think a lot of people uh, were under the assumption that the film would include the, the, the shootings, um, which obviously the film doesn't. So I think there was a lot of um, guessing about what the film was going to be. Um, But having said that, you know, right right to the point of its release, especially down in Tasmania, there were very strong feelings about um, whether the film should be made at all and whether you could sort of have a film with that sort of point of view in it, even even if it was about, you know, the the film ultimately was about gun reform. So, you know, I think there there was some um, very robust discussions about it Um, and, you know, it was... It was really interesting when it played here, a lot of people went and saw it, you know, it wasn't advertised. It was a film that was there and available to people if they wanted to go and see it, but we were very conscious about it, not being in the face of, you know, those that, uh, you know, didn't want to see it. Um, But a lot of people went and saw it here and and it was fascinating the discussion about it, you know, and how, how, how people were, I guess, a lot of people were learning about the events. But I think it started to stir up a discussion about things that people were quite surprised about. Um, so it's it's it, 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 I'm you know, I'm not going to deny it. It's a film that's um, had you know uh, you know had a lot of people sort of say look it shouldn't be made. But um, you know I I think it's also a film that's started you know an enormous sort of conversation and discussion about how we start to talk about some of these tragedies. Uh, you know, on that note,
0: you know, the, the real Nitrum, Martin Bryant, clearly had uh, mental health issues, as as Nitrum da- does in this film. And how, how, how does a story like this help advance those conversations? Because, you know, there are those who have mental health issues that don't like the narrative of mental health being used as an excuse in incidents like this, and yet a large proportion of the people who commit these do have mental health issues. Um, I, as someone who, who's made two films about, about, um, murders, how, how, how do you see that conversation?
1: Well, I, you know, we were really careful not to kind of place a particular mental illness on the, on, on the film. And, and it, and it's, it, it, it's, um, and that wasn't only us as, as, um, Writers and filmmakers kind of doing that. It, it was also it was, it, it's it's tricky to understand um, exactly what uh, what was going on, um, but there's no doubt that he was not well, and there's no doubt that that he was you know suffering from um, mental illness and depression. Um, but I think hopefully what the film also speaks to is the many other factors that were surrounding that and, 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 and especially um, gun reform um, that allowed this person to be able to kind of, you know, walk into that cafe with the sort of weaponry that he did. Um, and I think it also kind of, you know, it, it asked us how we, how we deal with outliers, you know, how we deal with those that, that, are, you know, on the fringes that do fall between the cracks that are the person that you cross the road to make sure that you don't pass. I mean, you know, this was an individual that was pretty pretty visible, you know, and was around. Um, so, you know, it, it, it asks questions about, you know, how we how we look after each other. Um, so, you know, I, I think there are many things that uh, uh, are being investigated, you know, are, are being brought to screen. Um, mental illness is 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 obviously just one of them
0: uh you've you've done a lot of films that that look at real life or inspired by real people you've got this you did uh kelly gang even did uh snowtown what what do you like about examining real life events or or real life
1: characters i think you know i, I think there's something about You know, when 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 there's an event that's large, and 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 when there's a group of people that have been heavily written about, or an event that's been heavily written about, I think there is something that, especially Sean and I, um, are really intrigued by the human aspect of it all. You know, what okay, so what is this family? What is this? you know the the young Jamie Velezarcas in, in 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 Snowtown he's 18 years old he's living in this particular community okay well what's that community how does someone like John Bunting come into that community and is able to seduce a whole community what's going on in that place um, i think there's 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 something about those real events that we start to question the you know past all the the, the newspaper clippings, you know, kind of well, what what is the kind of human story there? Um, because the events are so large, and 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 especially with Snowtown and more so with Knit Ramp, so horrific, you're trying to make sense of it on a on a human level as to kind of why and how you know people make horrific choices or behave like this. And I, and I think that's, you know, I think that's something that we're, we, we've been interested in and especially within young men um, that, um, you know, we've, we've obviously kept on coming back to. Uh,
0: and, and finally, you, you mentioned Sean, I think this is your, your, your third film together, but I know you also work a lot with um, your brother uh, and, and, and your wife, Essie, uh, who's been in a couple of films with you. Um, what's it like working with, with, your, your family and, and having this this group of close collaborators that you can kind of keep returning to every time you decide to do a
1: new project it's fantastic it's 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 amazing to have the opportunity to keep on working with people that you know want to work with you and you've got a shorthand with i mean it just the other day i was talking to essie about i'd love to get a company of actors together and and keep on doing a series of films just with those same actors because i i, I do think that special work comes from that familiarity um and then just on top of that i'm blessed that you know to to be able to work with your family members on you know on productions like this is 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 pretty pretty incredible and you know and and at the end of it to not be ripping each other's heads off and and actually enjoying the process is pretty kind of rare as well but um yeah i'm just lucky you know I'm, i'm i'm very lucky i'm surrounded by talented people and it's amazing that i can kind of collaborate with them on my own films. Well,
0: uh, the film is Nitram and it will be out here in North America in Digital Rental and AMC Plus on March the 30th. Justin Kurzel, thanks so much for for your time this afternoon. Pleasure. Alrighty, take care. Thanks, man. That was Justin Kurzel. He is the director of Nitram. And that film will be out on a digital and on demand here in North America on March 30th. If you happen to be listening from Australia, uh, it was released digitally on the Aussie streaming service Stan on November the 24th. We're slowly moving into more horror, but we're going uh, from real life to fiction. and. You know, so often we see horror films that have certain tropes. You know, the final girl. Um, usually the, the villain is um, either a madman or some deformed human. The Boy Behind the Door has none of those things. Um, it centers on two best friends who are essentially... Taken hostage by a woman, Uh, and I don't want to give too much away, but it's it's a really I think interesting look on on childhood and just kind of flips the script uh, a little bit on the horror genre. Uh, One of the stars of. The boy behind the door is Lonnie Chavis, who you may remember most from The Waterman. Uh, I had a chance to speak with Lonnie uh, a little while back about the film. Here is me and Lonnie Chavis. Awesome. Lonnie Chavis, good afternoon. How you doing, my man?
2: I'm doing great, man. How about you?
0: Good. N- nice and sunny behind you, I see. Yes, sir. <laughs> uh. It's like, I guess a different atmosphere than uh, The Boy Behind the Door, uh, your new movie on Shudder. Uh, would you
2: describe
0: yourself as a horror fan?
2: Yes. Yeah, I've always wanted to do a horror movie. I'm so happy I did this one. Wait,
0: for, for, for a young actor, what, what is the appeal of, of a horror film? Because it, it, it is, it's broad and also specific at the same time.
2: You mean filming it or watching one?
0: <laughs> I, I guess, you know, just just, you know, filming it and, and, and getting and, and getting to make it, you know, in and, and yeah. the,
2: the, the appeal of that genre. The appeal of that genre. Well, I've always loved horror movies and I've like I said, I've always wanted to shoot one. So I was really happy I shot this one. And also, I feel like it's it's really fun to film. Honestly, I feel like it's really fun to film. There's
0: a lot of heightened emotions with this. You know, you, you, let, out, you let out screams, you, you let out tears. Is it easy for you to, to tap into that kind of raw emotion?
2: Well, I have my own acting style. And from pain and trauma and loss in the past, I tap into those emotions when I'm trying to tap into a deep feeling for acting. And I feel like it's easier when you're actually there on set and you have blood on the clothes and you're in the creepy house and you have to scream and cry and be Bobby and be in his mindset and struggle for life.
0: <laughs> uh, and there's there's a lot of fighting and, and stabbing that, that your character gets to do. Um, how much of your own fight and, and your own stunts were you allowed to do during this?
2: I did pretty much all of them, besides jumping out the car, uh, me getting flipped on my back at the end, and man, um, I think those might be it. How
0: how do you how do you prepare for that physicality? Uh, as an actor stretch a <laughs> <I> stretch <laughs> um you you also you know you, you your your character um is is best friends with kevin who, who's played by uh by by ezra in the film what what kind of what, was there any sort of talk between the two of you or 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 rehearsals between the two of you to to kind of portray this friendship on screen or was it the first you know your first day meeting meeting each other was the first day filming and it was just you know we're all in let's go
2: well I remember in the comeback well I auditioned first and I came for a comeback and then I got the role and we were auditioning for uh we auditioned for Kevin's and I remember Ezra me and Ezra just had a better connection than really anybody else me and him were able to joke about anything we're able to snap right into the scene immediately and then i remember when the day come me and him just kind of flowed with it we just it was just everything just went out smoothly uh
0: you know given given everything that that happens in this film from you know from the creep to the to the kidnapper to you know to, to just the, the the back and forth was there was there one scene or 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 one moment that you filmed that that stood out as a favorite to you
2: The, the trunk scene i feel like it stands out as one of my maybe one of my best performances because it was an actual trunk it was an actual car and they took some of the seats out so they could put the camera right there but we were locked in an actual trunk it was actually locked down we had the kick scream, and we just had to keep and keep doing takes and keep repeating it. I feel like it was definitely one of my best performances.
0: You know, given that that you use your voice a lot in in a scene like that, how taxing was that that process, you know, from from beginning and, and all the multiple takes until you finally say, okay, we're satisfied with this cut, print, we're moving on?
2: Man, I can't even tell you how much tea I drunk throughout that whole movie. I can't even <laughs> tell you. So many cough drops, so much tea. I can't tell you, man.
0: Um, th- that must have been like a, a very interesting scene to film because, you know, you're, you're in a very enclosed space. And, and, and you mentioned they, they took out the seats, but it's very, you know, it's very dimly lit. It's very. It was
2: very dark. It was a little chilly. We had zip ties on our hands and we had duct tape on our mouth. And we did maybe over 30 or 40 takes and a bunch of different shots. It was, it was a pretty hard day.
0: When, when you have these restrictions placed on you, either physically or, or, or vocally or emotionally, or, or just, you know, spatial wise, does that bring out a better performance because you, you know, you're, you're limited into what you can do. And so that way you, you can actually perfect your options rather than trying something different each take.
2: Does that limit what I can do? Does,
0: does, 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 does the, 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 the fact that you have these limitations placed on you just by the nature of the scene bring out a better performance?
2: I don't feel like it brings out... I mean, you could say that it helps. Yeah, it helps. But I don't know if it brings out a better performance.
0: You are, you know, this is a, this is a Shudder original. And I think Shudder has done great things for the horror genre. What, what do you like the fact that this movie is, you know, it's premiering on a streaming service, but it's, it's premiering on a service that's dedicated to horror films rather than just you know like like a Netflix or, or an Amazon or or you know in theaters and that this film will actually get seen by fans of the genre. Is is that something you think about at all as an
2: actor? Yeah because now the horror the horror uh now the horror side of uh of movie watchers will see me and now they'll see what I can do and then they'll get even more interested and now they'll watch other things that I'll do. And it's also on DVD and video on demand today. So <laughs> now everybody can watch it too. Um,
0: you know, I it, it, horror, I think horror is one of those genres that that has a really intense passionate fandom. You know, there's just like there are fantasy cons, there there there, there are horror cons. Um it, since the, you know, since making this movie, ha- have you started to have maybe different fan encounters than you've had in the past?
2: Uh, I've had quite a few people come up to me and say they loved the way I acted in a boy behind the door and they were horror critics. So it was, it was pretty cool. I mean, not a lot of people yet, but I'm sure, I'm sure more people come up to me. I hope. <laughs> what do you, you know, it's, it's always
0: debatable whether, you know, horror films have a message or, you know, or, or whether they're just made for entertainment value is, is there, something about this movie or, or, or from this movie that you would like fans to notice to, to take away?
2: Well, the most, one of the most important things about this movie is friendship. You can see Bobby had a choice to leave and come back and call for help, but he went inside and stayed with his best friend. Friendship is important. Um, Love is important. And Safety is important. This is a reminder just to be safe, please.
0: On that note, you know, I think so often in, in film and in horror specifically, when we see intense friendship depicted, it's often between women, girls, or, you know, the male-male friendships are, are, are sort of a little more like bro and and, and braggadocious. And, and this was really... You know it was a lot more tender I think and and, and a lot more sensitive um what <laughs> what do you think that says about societal expectations of what friendships are or should be I feel like are you asking me what friendships are should be or what the expectations are well I, I both because you know I I, I think the, the the friendship that kept you know that's portrayed in, in this film is is not something that 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 is typically seen. I I think because it's slightly frowned upon that you know young male friendships can't have the same emotion as perhaps female friendships. And so, what do what do you think friendship means to you? And why do you think there is that stereotype within society?
2: I am going to be honest. I don't really think that way about friendships. I, me and my best friend, me and him, we've known each other for six years and we tell each other about everything. We trust each other about everything. We have each other's backs. We get happy. We cheer each other up every time we see each other. When we're in the sad moments, we make jokes about it to cheer each other up. I mean, what I think friendship is about is just, Happy and happiness and trust, I guess.
0: Um, you know, sp- speaking of trust, there's you know, like I said, there's there's a lot of back and forth in this movie, you know, between you and Nika, or between you and 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 Kristen. When when you're doing a very intense scene, how much innate trust do you find you have to place in your scene partner?
2: A lot. <laughs> a lot because then if he messes up, then we have to redo the whole thing and if i mess up then we have to redo the whole thing or something breaks or something or a prop messes up i mean you have to rely a lot of trust on everybody
0: <laughs> there's always a lot of, of you know effects and horror from whether it's you know fake blood or 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 you know smog or anything like that is 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 that a side of the industry that that you enjoy you know working with and, and, and learning about just sort of, you know, what, what goes into, Oh, Hey, now you have to place, you know, blood on me here, or, you know, there's going to be something, something coming in from there. Is, is, is that a, is is it fun to learn about those types of things as an actor?
2: Yeah, it was fun to play with fake, blood. I mean, fake blood is it's way nastier than I thought it was going to be. I thought it was just like dyed water, but it's actually sticky and gooey and as like dark little pulp and it's pretty nasty. Do you, but I'll admit it was, it was really fun to play with the makeup that they had for me.
0: Do, do they still use um, corn syrup these days in blood? I know that that used to be. a thing. I don't
2: know. I do not know, but it was nasty. <laughs>
0: how, you know, how in terms of, you know, your, your, your screaming in and, and, you know, all, all the fighting, how specific does the, the choreography have to be in, and in a film like this, how much room is there for improvisation?
2: There was a lot of room for, improv- for improvisation, like screams. I mean, most of the movie was improv when it came to no lines in a scene. Screams just came out of nowhere. If, if you felt comfortable, this is what the director said. If you felt comfortable doing a scream or if you felt like this should be here, just do it. And that's basically what we did throughout the entire movie. And when it came to choreography, there wasn't a lot of it. There was mostly only choreography when we had to deal with the axe or a sharp object.
0: It, screaming can be a very specific action in, in, in the way that it's done. Did you have to take, were there any sort of training that you had to take in, to learn how to scream properly? Because if it's done wrong, it, it can really wreck your voice.
2: That's really what I thought I had to do, but no, <laughs> apparently not. I just went to set that one day, and then I just started screaming. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, I'm I'm glad you uh, I'm glad you didn't uh, wreck your voice while doing it. <laughs>
2: oh <So am I. laughs> my!
0: Um. Well, the film is The Boy Behind the Door, and, and it is you said it's out on VOD and DVD today, uh, and it was also and it's also a Shutter. Original series that you or sorry Shutter Shutter original that you can find on Shutter now. Lonnie Chavis, uh, thanks so much for stopping in today.
2: No problem. Thank you for having me, on.
0: Already have a good day. Cheers. You
2: too, man, thank you.
0: That was my conversation with Lonnie Chavis. He is the star of the Boy Behind the Door, which is out now on VOD and digital. You can also find it on the streaming service Shutter. If you don't have Shutter, I highly recommend especially if you are a horror aficionado uh, that is the boy behind the door speaking of shutter and really really innovative uh horror films and this one's more horror fantasy but it is uh one of the best films i've seen in in quite some time the spine of night the writers and directors of The Spine of the Night, they co wrote it and co directed it, are Philip Gallet and Morgan Galen King. Uh, Philip is known for his work on the amazing Netflix series Love, Death, and Robots, season two of which is out now. Season three, I believe, is coming out very soon, and he might give us uh, a couple of hints on that. Uh, Morgan King also comes from uh, the film film world as well. Uh, He has worked in uh, animation on a short film called uh, Exordium, uh, as well as in Drop Dead Gorgeous. How do I describe The Spine of Night? Well, here's what IMDb says. Ultra-violent, epic fantasy set in a land of magic follows heroes from different eras and cultures battling against a malevolent force. Uh, when I, when I talked to Felon to Morgan, I sort of described it as also an origin story for humanity. Um, and it's got a really great cast. Lucy Lawless, Richard E. Grant... Patton Oswalt, Joe Manginello, Larry Fasendin, Abigail Savage, Betty Gabriel. It's unlike any film you've seen before. Uh, You know, it's funny, they were talking about, um, today at the Oscars, uh, best uh, animated short film. Um, And the, the two guys that won... Uh, they're Hispanic, and they were talking about the budding move or the the, the budding um, ad- you know animation for adults sort of filmmaking subculture. And this spine of night, I think, epitomizes that in every single way. Uh, this is my conversation with Phil Gallat and Morgan.
2: Hey, Dan. Hello. How are
0: you? I'm good. How are you? Hey, I'm Good. Thank you. Uh, Just waiting
2: for Morgan.
0: Yeah, I think I saw that he had joined. Sometimes it just takes a minute. Uh, I can. I'll send a message to you. uh, Yeah. Oh, yeah. There's the. uh, Hold on. Oh, there he is. Yep. Okay. Sorry to keep you waiting. (laughs) No problem. Great. Well, you have. Uh, let's see, about 20 minutes for this interview? Yeah, that sounds great. Perfect, I will put myself on mute um, and I can give you a little cue if you're starting to run over because we have another interview after this. Perfect. Perfect. How are you doing? All right. Thank you. Philip Gillette, Morgan King. Hello, good morning, gentlemen. Hello, Hello. how are you doing? I'm doing great. It's a, you know, a little, little blustery out today, but not so bad, not so bad. <laughs> um, you have a very interesting film that I just had a chance to see, The Spine of Night. Um, and I know both of you kind of have a, a background in animation and in video games. What, how, how did this project all come together uh for the two of you?
3: I had been working on short films, you know, sort of refining the rotoscope style to, you know, you know, with each project, I think we're getting a little better at it. Um and then in 2013 I was working on Exordium, which is a short film that uh sort of ties into the larger film, if anybody's looking for more. Um and I so I done that in 2013 and it sort of made it rounds on the internet and eventually someone uh got it in front of Phil.
4: Yeah, so I saw Exordium and thought that it was rad, which is maybe the only word I can use to describe it. Uh, and it's maybe a dated uh adjective, but it's rad. So I sent morgan a message and was like, "Hey, I love this short film. Like, let's figure out some way to do something else together. Do you want to do a like would you want to do a feature based on the short or would you want to do something else like let's just let's let's communicate and figure something out so very quickly we settled on the idea of doing a feature you know set in the same world as the short film and then i you know i'd been working already as a screenwriter for a while at that point and um just sort of thought to myself that no buddy in hollywood would let us make this movie in this animation style and so then just like started to put the pieces together to do it in an, in an independent way, which is how we were working for most of the time. And then way many, many, many years later, when we need more money, we, we brought on the sort of bigger names to, to like solidify our, the, the finishing of the film, but that, that's sort of how it, how it came together at the beginning.
0: Rotoscoping is a, a very interesting technique. I know if, um, uh, bigger big roscoe film there's a scanner directly by richard link and i know what he did is he got all the actors to act it out and then paint basically paint over uh in post how did what was that process like for you did did you have i, I know in the credits there, there was some motion capture people but did you have them walk through the motions and then you just animate over them
3: yeah basically the you know it's i mean rotoscoping's been around since the the dawn of animation in some form or another and you know it's sort of like you know it's the ancestor to the the digital motion capture we have today in you know most blockbuster films but the um, the approach we took was as close as you could get to the way Ralph Bakshi was doing it in the 70s but working on a computer so it was we filmed the live action reference uh, of you know you know cast the, the entire film did the whole you know shot every single thing that we could uh, in a warehouse in Pawtucket back in 2014 and then when you're animating it it's it, I think people have sort of an intuitive sense that they sort of get how that would work um, but it's because it, but there's nothing automated and nothing of the live action ends up in the finished animation at least not the way we do it. So it was much more uh, because we're trying to do it in the Bakshi style. He comes from more traditional animation. So this is we were still using like keyframes and onion skins and it was closer to to that than say motion capture or a lot of other sort of modern rotoscope-ish things. You know, like the link letter stuff.
0: You know, it's interesting because I mean, we're we're starting to see a shift now, but you know, I think traditionally, or at least in sort of the big mainstream culture, animation has always been this, you know, family sort of for everyone method of storytelling. How, how does, how, how can we expand our minds uh, of animation to, to tell these, these sort of darker underground stories that maybe aren't necessarily
4: family friendly? Or in our case, specifically not, family- <laughs> <laughs> specifically not family-friendly. not uh, family That's a really good question. I mean, it, it is, as you say, I think it is a little bit of a, uh, and I'll let Morgan speak to this too, it feels a little bit like an American problem to, to me. I think that, you know, in Europe and certainly in Japan um, and maybe in other areas of Asia, like, you know, animation, they've been making animation that was, for adults either thematically or or content wise for a long time with i you know i think a, a relative amount of success um maybe not a huge amount but it, you know it's been around whereas in america it it has you know it's like fits and starts like in the late 70s there was bakshi and heavy metal and then in the 80s like so many cool things uh it died out and <laughs> just sort of went, went away and then uh, but in terms of how we get it back into the culture, I really don't know. Other than you know, to to sort of support it, if you, if you like it, well, okay, I would say it's a three it's a three part it's a three part program. <laughs> One, you have to get people to like, just check it out and like see if it's for them. And then if they think, oh, this is interesting, it's a cartoon that's for <laughs> that's for adults, then then we need people to sort of support it where they see it and tell people about it and, you know, just sort of in any way that you attempt to bring, um, I don't wanna call it outsider art, but like, not like, you know, any any way that you would bring something from outside the mainstream more into the mainstream, I think is, is really the only way to do it. I mean, I don't know, Morgan, maybe you have more thoughts on it, but it's, yeah.
3: <laughs> well, I mean, I, I think that that's essentially it. You know, I suspect a lot of it is just finding the financing to make it. Like, so I've talked to a lot of artists since this came out, you know, animators who would love to do something adult and would love to do something more independent and outside of, you know, sort of the family-friendly stuff, but someone's got a bankroll at the end of the day and the jobs, if the jobs aren't there, it's just hard to do it. Like, the interest among animators is there. So, yeah, yeah you just need a uh, market who gets it. And, and I think we're getting really close to that. There's so much new technology that is enabling smaller and smaller filmmakers to do bigger and bigger special effects. And then at the end of the day, I mean, like, I'm sure Phil would agree too. Like when you look at any blockbuster movie now, it's almost entirely computer animated. You know, like it's less and less uh, human bodies on screen all the time. So it's sort of just an issue of, you know, accepting not being realistic in your aesthetic.
0: Phil, Phil, you mentioned, the word cartoon and i remember having this debate a while ago is do you do you consider cartoon and animation the same thing or are they inherently different
4: oh uh that is a really hard question i mean i sort of used it when i was talking in a little bit of a facetious way because i feel like for people who don't watch things like spider knight they'll encounter it and be like well, that's a cartoon um I don't know. It feels a little bit like the, like a, like an argument between calling comic books comic books or graphic novels to me. Like one feels like if you want to make it sound hoity toity, you use the word animation, and if you want to make it sound like it's for kids, you call it cartoons. But I, I don't know. I, I I haven't thought deeply enough about the question, Morgan. Maybe you can maybe you can well, gussy up my answer for me.
3: <laughs> I mean, I I think that's, that's at least colloquially how it's used. I mean, I think of cartooning a little bit more as like a um, caricature. Like the way you like it's it's a it's a very specific kind of stylizing, within animation like where it's the, you know there's a it's, the squash and stretch movement. And yeah, it's like the, it's like uh, Bugs
4: Bunny or, or Daffy Duck or, or something like that. Yeah. Yeah, or like
3: the uh, and the design is is super unrealistic, by you know like it's intentionally very squishy and very exaggerated. You know, big yeah, eyes yeah. and uh,
0: stuff.
3: Anyway,
0: one thing that. I think struck me about the characters i mean aside from the violence in the film was the sort of the 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 lack of clothing and and full frontalness we see it and obviously it, it works you know as part of the story and 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 for sort of whatever time frame that the film is set in but i'm curious how how does because hollywood has such a Weird relationship, I think, with nudity and, and and the human body. How how does animation maybe let you get away with things in that area that you couldn't otherwise do in a live action film?
4: Oh, I mean, that's that's a little bit of a of a of a tricky question. Is the wrong thing, but like because we made the movie independently, like we didn't really have to care at all what Hollywood thought about it. I mean, one, one like so we we really. I mean, one one of the reasons that we think we both did it was just to as at least maybe more from my perspective than Morgan's because I had been working in in Hollywood prior to this uh one of the thought experiments to me it was like well what if you just made a movie with the brakes off and there was nobody there to tell you don't make it so violent and don't make it so naked like what if we what if we just did it uh and I think you know in terms of whether the animation allowed us to um get away with more on that front I don't know. It's so hard to say because the whole thing was always conceived to be this style of animation and, and this type of nudity. So I don't, I don't know. I, I don't, I don't know. I really have an answer, Morgan.
3: Yeah, I mean, it, it was always baked into what we wanted to do. The relationship with the human body, and in both fantasy and horror, which are you know the spheres we're really working in, uh, felt like it was something that was really essential to it like thematically like the both the naturalness of the um of being outside the expectations of civilization or you know like there's there's something like clothing informs such a big part of like how we we think of each other you know like there's something inherently uh, like too intimate about nudity. And I feel like, you know, in, in a civilized sense, so that in a fantasy sense, like being able to push back against that is just thematically interesting. And then I think you get to see like, in the, in the horror way, you sort of see humans as animals or humans as even I don't know, meat. And, in the, and so then when you're looking at it in a cosmic sense, like from a cosmic horror capacity, I think being small and naked in the context of the vast cold universe is just really uh, th- you know, visually and thematically interesting. But also fantasy loves to put, you know, people in tiny loincloths and little metal bikinis. So be so not doing that was also a way to be like look you know, like to highlight how close that is to nudity and what a silly affectation that barely
0: clothed is. Uh, there was there was a, a fantastic cast involved. You had Patton Oswald uh, Richard E. Grant, who is, I think, one of the most unheralded, underrated actors of his generation. Um, Lucy Lawless, Joe Manginello, Cammie by Larry Fassenden, who I think is like the king of every, like he's the horror king. Um, you know, for, for an independent film, how did you go about assembling this cast?
4: Yeah, so we we brought the voice cast on pretty late in the process, um, so we were able to. Well, I guess the thinking was this: if we if we had approached big name actors when we just had a script and uh, nothing else, I think they all probably would have been like, "What the hell are you talking about? I don't want to, I don't want to do this." So what we did was, or they would have been more skeptical. So at the very end, towards the very end of the process, when we had the film, you know, there were chunks of the film that were fully animated, fully colored, and, and had and had backgrounds. Um, at that point we started to approach the bigger name cast. And so we could show them like, this is what it's going to look like. Um, this is how it's going to sound. We even had some sound design and, 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 score in it at that point. Um, and we just, you know, we went through their agents and we tried to be very specific about who we were approaching in terms of who we thought would, would respond to the material. So Joe Manganiello n- notoriously loves D and D and loves dark fantasy. So he, he very quickly signed on Lucy, um, doesn't as she will admit to doesn't really love the genre, but she has been working in it her whole life. So she certainly gets it. And and really, I think to be honest, of all of them responded the most personally to her character. Like she really, you know, wanted to do right by Zod and and, and really just like love the way that she was presented in the film, Uh, Richard. Uh, I agree with you 100% is just an amazing, an amazing actor. Uh, I have no idea if he has a proclivity for fantasy, but I just love him. So when the idea came up to see if he wanted to do it, I was like, hell yeah. And then I am still stunned that he said yes, because he's he's so he's so good and he's so good in in the role. Uh, And, you know, Patton also also is a nerd. And Larry Fessenden is. I just love him (laughs) he's just as you say he's he's a he's a king and he came he came on uh and yeah i mean it's just a perfect role for him a a screaming lunatic uh he's he's so good i mean that's really how we do it we just we we, you know we just we 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 were able to show them how it was going to look how it was going to sound and and said we're doing this crazy thing Do you want to come do you want to get on the crazy bus with us and, and, and and drive towards the cliff and they were like sure
0: <laughs> play a play a screaming lunatic old man, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um you know, and it, it it's funny because we, we talk about fantasy and yet it it kinda struck me that this was almost the the thing I got out of it was was an origin story for humanity, you know, and, and letting us tell our own stories. How much crossover do you see between what is fantasy? and what is reality.
3: Oh, I mean I I think that's really, you know, cutting right to the heart of the film. I mean, I think you that's that's a it's very observant of the themes that um yeah, I I think the like what we accept as, you know, reality, what we accept as like the hierarchies within a society or what we You know whether it's what technology is shared what information is shared like these things are all choices in the same way that what myths we pass on are choices that end up shaping all of our experiences so i mean i i think there's you know maybe in a psychedelic sense too like what you know what is the boundary between what what you're thinking and what is real as uh is deeply baked into the into the larger themes of the film
0: you know, it's, we, we we sort of follow the journey of this bulb, this plant, this magical thing, whatever you wanna refer to it as, and, and how it affects people. And it, it goes back to the old adage, um, you know, um, about power and, and, and corruption. Uh, where, where, do you, where do you stand on that? Do, if, if we give people too much power, are they always gonna use it for negative purposes?
3: I mean, it's a big one. That's a big question. Uh, <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I guess, I mean, personally, and I think is, shakes out in the film. I mean, I, I don't think any hierarchies are inherently justified. You know, I, I think that uh unequal distribution of powers, largely, um, you know, the source of, of all oppression. In human history, so, so personally, I mean, I think you know, I, I, you know, I, and that's sort of what I was, you know, I think we're getting at the the closing shots of the film as well, to not give anything away.
4: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, I guess I think it's probably possible to wield power and not be corrupted by it, but I do think that in order to, to have that exist, you there need there need to be exterior boundaries. Keeping you in, but that's not really. That observation isn't really doesn't really play out in the film. Obviously, the film is certainly about the way that that um, that particular character we're talking about is is uh, is corrupted by the power. But also, I think from a understandably human perspective, I mean, he if you know he is ultimately doing all of that because he doesn't want to die like he's unable to for he's unable to face at least in my opinion unable to face the sort of uncomfortable truth about his own death and his own um again this is vaguely spoilery but his own sort of largely inconsequential place in the universe right so his his journey is really a, a denial of that truth and the denial of that truth is what leads to his his corruption at least in my opinion so
0: this film got picked up by shutter which i think many might find interesting because it's like i i think shutter has is known for being more outwardly horror focused you know a lot more kind of slasher a lot more you know um blood and guts but does 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 having that service behind you justify the film's existence as a horror and like a dark fantasy because there is a lot of crossover I think between the two genres
3: I I certainly think so I mean you know Shudder's had a few sort of crossover things in the past like um, Headhunter which is really wonderful if, if if people haven't seen that but uh I've certainly in terms of how we think of it I I've always or for a long time argued that I think horror does fantasy better than fantasy does fantasy you know like it it makes the mythological seem truly awe inspiring. Whereas, like often you'll see something like in in a fantasy setting where, like a griffin or something is a is just a mount that you can get to ride to the next beautiful kingdom, <laughs> and and like if you know, but if you put a you know a eagle beaked feathered horse creature in a horror movie, like it's gonna be a, a it's gonna be shot from below. It's gonna be majestic and terrifying. So I think there's a, an aspect, or like even like Shalob in the Lord of the Rings films, like, you know, the horror sections are so powerful in those. So, uh, so I've, I think there's always been a crossover between the two. And, you know, sort of pushing back against um, like sort of traditional heroic narratives, m- almost what that leaves fantasy without the heroism is horror. And so I, it always felt like a, a natural fit to me. I mean, I think the film is, you
0: know, like cosmic horror is a big part of it. So and Philip, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you, what can we can we expect anything? And are you involved in uh, Love, Death and Robots season three?
4: Uh, yes, I am involved. Uh, I wrote, uh, as with the other seasons, you know, um, the majority of the scripts. Um, so that's pretty exciting. Uh, and you can expect from that more of what it has already delivered, which is to say, like three D animated uh, genre madness. Um, yeah, uh, I don't think I can say anything more about it except I think there'll there are a lot of great episodes in the upcoming season, definitely. And that comes out in May. I believe so. I am actually. I haven't really been following what what its release date is, but May so- May sounds about right to me. Sometime sometime in the spring. <laughs>
0: uh finally what what do you want is is there a, a message or or something that you want audiences to take away from the spine of night when they watch it?
3: I mean there's so many like layers and themes built within the narrative itself that i I think is almost more fun if people get the chance to explore and come to terms with on their own but I would say in the in a more meta sense that I hope people check it out because independent animated features are just really really rare like you almost never I mean I, I suspect most people have hardly seen any because it's it's a it's a time-consuming expense and it's and so I hope that whether or not the Spine of night is the, the greatest animated film you've ever seen that that being turned on to independent animation will just keep audiences looking for it and hungry for it and and trying to track down more of it, because it's it's an amazing art form that I wish we
0: saw more action into the independent space with.
4: Yeah,
0: well, the film is the spine of night, and it will be on shutter. So if you have that streaming service, which I highly recommend you get because it's great for uh, independent horror, uh, then be sure to check out The Spine of Night. Philip Gallat, Morgan King, thank you so much for your time this morning. I really enjoyed the film and the conversation. Thank you so much for having me. Thank us. It's you. It was really fun. All right. Take care. Ciao. Yeah, You too. Bye.
3: Thanks, Dan.
0: Bye. That was Phil Gallat and Morgan King, the writers and directors of The Spine of Night, a Shudder original adult animated horror fantasy. If you have Shudder, I highly, highly recommend that you check it out. That does it for me today. Um, As you may have guessed, uh, the... uh, new episodes that kind of get posted not infrequently because it's still once a week but you know it, it, it's a little bit um helter skelter right now in terms of you know specific days or or, or when i post them uh, i'm just trying to balance a lot of things i've been doing a lot of writing um trying to book a vacation potentially trying to move uh move my life uh Across the Atlantic Ocean, um, and you know this this podcast, this series that I've been doing for twelve years is evolving and and changing and you know ebbing and flowing and, and doing many different things and I don't know where it's gonna go. Um, I've got some interviews lined up, but you know it 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 may it, you know it'll go up, it'll come down, it may rest, it may relax and. Try, you know, I'm just, I'm trying a few different things in terms of what I, what I want this to be, um, you know, I, I've had people tell me that it's good, but maybe it needs to be more specific, maybe I can, you know, split the longer form interviews off into something else, anyway, um, so yeah, just, just be advised, you know, that it'll, it'll be up, it'll be down, and, It it may be a little irregular for a while. Um, You know, they'll they'll be doing different things with it, but I will uh, still be doing it. Hope you all enjoy the Oscars. My congratulations to Ben Proudfoot. My congratulations to Coda. Thanks for tuning in. I'll see you next time. Ciao. For now.